Hello, welcome to Off The Shelf Reviews. I'm pretty sure the never-ending story shouldn't end. And I'm Gary, and today we're going to review and discuss The Never-Ending Story, released in 1984, based on the novel by Michael End, written by Herman Weigel and Wolfgang Peterson, and directed by Wolfgang Peterson. Ian, why don't you give us the synopsis? Well, the story follows Bastian Balthazar Bucks, played by Barrett Oliver, who has come across a book named The Never-Ending Story. As he reads the adventures of Atreyu from inside the book, he starts to realise that his world and Fantasia, the never-ending story world, are merging together and he has to save the childlike Empress from the nothing. So this was like pretty big news in Germany right. and that's what most people kind of tend to forget with this film is that it's a German film. Okay. And uh, a lot of people feel like it has that American touch to it, which of course it does because a lot of the actors that got brought over or a lot of the crew that got brought over, right. even Steven Spielberg helped edit the American release of the film as well. Well, yeah, because it is kind of, kind of based in Seattle or some kind of Americanized town. Well, the town in the film was actually filmed in Canada. Right, okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, but yeah, it's actually a German production and it's actually one of, well, it was the most expensive film made in Germany at that time, but it nice. almost didn't get made as the author of the novel, once the rights had been sold and the film was in production, mm. he got very upset with the direction that the filmmakers were taking. Okay. And at one point he tried to uh, sue the studio and the filmmakers. And eventually, because so much money was invested in this film, yeah, yeah. in the German economy, in investment in this film, yeah. the courts just said no. <laughs> And the film went ahead. Yeah. And of course, it's been said, like, uh, Noah Hathaway, who plays Atreyu in the yeah, film, yeah. has gone on and said, like, yeah, because this film was made in Germany, they didn't have the rules and regulations like the Hollywood system, so these child actors were put to work. <laughs> well, I mean, like, we're talking about the Hollywood system. They put children to work there as well. Yeah, I know, but there was no, like, safety, so... The actors in this had no stunt doubles. They did have to do all the stunts themselves. They went on horse riding uh, lessons Man, to get prepped for the role. Have you seen that shit from the Twilight Zone with those children? Uh, yeah, Twilight Zone. I know, I know. Well, that's the thing because he almost died twice making this film. Oh, he was shit. hospitalized many, many times when stunts went slightly wrong. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, if you grew up in the eighties or even were born early nineties. The never-ending story was at least on your video shelf. Oh, yeah. You know, you've at least seen it once. You may not have liked it, or you may have absolutely loved the movie, but you've seen the never-ending story. And, like, before we get too into it, let's just ignore the sequels. Let's pretend uh, yes, they don't please. exist. <laughs> I mean, they're, they are... I mean, the second one is technically supposed to be in the first one, because it's all well, one book. Well, this... This movie is uh, an adaptation of the first half yeah. of the book. Yeah. And the second film is a real rough yeah. uh, translation of that yeah. second half. We're just going to pretend that those don't exist. Like, the never-ending story for me is just the never-ending story. And man, Barrett Oliver, what an actor. And he did nothing after this. Like, well, he did this. He did Darrow, Cocoon, Cocoon Return. I loved him in the Twilight Zone episode, Grandma. 
best episode of the whole Twilight Zone did. But nice. That's it. Well, I like the fact that almost all of the child actors in this film, for me, they never appeared in anything. They didn't, no. you know, grow up in the, in the system. We didn't see them a film after film. So it kind of remains like this pure thing that they did. Yeah, yeah. And it's not yeah. tarnished by any other major acting roles that they had. Yeah. But yeah, they, they are. It is weird to see where some of them are now. But like, uh, I, I, I loved Noah Hathaway in Battlestar Galactica. And it was only the, like this review. I can't believe it. Like I've seen the movie maybe a million times and never, you know, realized, oh, it's the guy from Battlestar Galactica. Boxy. Yeah. yeah. Holy shit. Like making those notes, like the child, like em- Empress as well. Uh, Tammy Stronach. Like reading that she got a lot of, um, let's say, bad messages from people who wanted to marry her after this movie because they just thought she was like so amazing. I'm like, girl's like 12. Well, that's horrible and a real shame. And the crew spent a little while trying to uh, transform this uh, young actress into into this ethereal-looking, otherworldly character, which, yeah, is quite a transformation. And it's a shame, uh, but yeah, this actress, she didn't really want to be an actress. She actually wanted to go and be a dancer, and uh, that is what she pursued. And only until recently, I believe, that uh, she is now returning to acting. Nice. Oh, never end story on stage. That'd be great. <laughs> but back to Barrett Oliver, like I said, you know, he he's playing Bastion. He's woken up. It's it's quickly established in this little section with his dad that something's happened to his mum. And the two of them are going through it. But they're going kind of through it together. Like, I don't get the feeling that the dad's no, a bad guy. I don't guy. think they're going through it together. I think they're going through it at the same time. Yeah. But completely in their own way. Where Bastion is retreated into his stories and into his fantasy. Where dad has completely Struggling consumed himself, himself work. with work and yeah. regulations. And uh, you know, he tells Bastion he's got to keep his feet on the ground in order to get bored. But the weird thing is, that's it. In this tiny little kitchen section. Yeah. That, like I said, that's how good I think Barrett Oliver was as a child actor. That, like, you could get the emotion from him that this kind of boy was suffering, which then makes you assume, kind of, what the dad's doing, because you don't get nothing. Like, real. You just get a cold disconnect. It, it, that's how I felt. Like, oh, it was just very cold and yeah, yeah, but uncomfortable. It firmly establishes, and you're like, oh, right, it does, okay, yeah. you know, Bastion, you're our, our hero. And then, obviously, after that, you get the bully sequence, which, you know, not to get too deep, but as a child, I saw the sequence and I totally related. Yeah. You know, being chased, being thrown into the dumpster, and and it's it's savage. But the fact that he has to go for it again, right? <laughs> you know, yeah. Well, I mean, he runs away the second time, but he ends up jumping into the bookstore. Yes. Uh, where the owner promptly yells, "Get out! I don't like kids." <laughs> oh. Did oh. you relate much? I do. Yeah. <laughs> I've a Treasure Island. Last of the Mohicans, Wizard of Oz, Lord of the Rings, 20,000 Leagues on the Sea, Tarzan. But yeah, Bastion, uh, he sneaks in, and uh, when he's about to be berated by this librarian, this this book owner, he's like, no, actually, I've read Robinson Crusoe and yeah. Tarzan and, and all these other novels. And he's like, okay, well, maybe there's something different about you. And Bastion starts questioning the book that yeah. he's reading. Yeah. And he's like, no, this book is, is not for children. It's not for you. This book is something else entirely. But he gets distracted and he has to go into the other room. Yeah. You see him discreetly cover up the book as he leaves. Yeah. And it's a great, great moment where... 
Sebastian uncovers the book and the music just slowly Ooh. comes in. Gives you that tingly, magical, otherworldly vibe. Man. And he yunks the book and runs out of there. Like, But it's the fact that the owner doesn't look angry. As a matter of fact, he looks and he smiles like it's done. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like he's passed it on. I got that from this this time of watching it. Of, of like he, he explains like your books at home, they're safe. You know, when when, when uh, Captain Nemo's fighting the giant squid in 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, you know, you're, you're just there on the sideline. And I never really got it until I was watching it and I was reviewing it. And I'm thinking, this is kind of his warning to say, look, little boy, you read this book, you're going to go somewhere you've never been before and you've got to be prepared. But at the same time, with how the story develops, with how the world of Fantasia is kind of falling apart, it made me kind of think of, is this old man looking for this little boy because... He can't keep reading. He's been reading since he was a little boy and he's kept the world of Fantasia going. And, you know, he's now got to pass it on to Bastion. Speaking of the music, my friend. Wow. Yeah, the music in this is incredible. It's uh, composed by Klaus Doldinger, yeah. who also composed the music for Das Boat. Oh, nice. Um, and so, yeah, his, his he brought in, like, the orchestral sort of music, yeah. the classical sort of music, the fantasy element to it. But they also brought in uh, Giorgio Moroder, and Giorgio brought in a kind of new synth wave kind of element to the to the film, a kind of pop sound to it, oh. so that it appealed to kids as well. So what we end up with is almost like this perfect blend of orchestral and synth pop, and it really, really works in this fantasy setting. Man, that opening song, it will stay with you forever. Absolutely. Never absolutely. ending. Well, the thing is, the the song wasn't the biggest hit when the film no, actually released in theatres. Yeah. But uh, like a year later, when the film was out on, on out to buy on VHS, home yeah. video, uh, the song kind of went back into the charts again. Uh, and of course, it's only a few years ago that Stranger Things uh, had a, yeah, had a pivotal it. moment. Yes. And the song was played again. And it just reminded everyone of that magical movie from their childhoods. And uh, yeah, so the music in this film is exceptional. And the the minute the the film starts with that wonderful, bizarre, like alien landscape, it's clouds. like a skyline. It's yeah. it's like clouds. It is the film's it, representation of yeah. the nothing. Where in the book, it's explained that it's a void. It is actually nothing. So what they've said is that all of these clouds and the destruction is basically, you know, the edge of the nothing. It's yeah. what the devastation is being caused by it. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, we we follow Bastian. He gets to school. He he's late. He's unable. Well, he, it's not he's unable to get to class. He chooses not to go to class, and he runs up into the attic space of the school, um, and gets the book out. Now, like, it was something as a child. Like I was like, man, I'd love to do that. You know, you always have the, that in films when you're a kid. You look at it and you go, oh, man, I wish I could do that. Oh, man, I wish I could do that. And with never-ending stories, man, I wish I could get to school. Not actually get to class just go up and chill up in the attic you know read this badass book <laughs> and the way it converts from bar oliver bastian narrating the start to then some of the best practical effects ever just ever you know you're then already in fantasia yeah 
And it's also the characters that we get to meet as well. Uh, namely, the Rock Biter. Yeah. Now, we get introduced to uh, Deep Roy, who plays Teeny Weenie. Yeah. And you've got the other guy, I've forgotten his name, who basically flies around uh, with this bat. Yeah. He's yeah. like a creature of the earth. He's literally, like, dressed in nature. Uh, but they're conversing... Well, they end up conversing with the Rock Biter, who explains the nothing and yeah. that they are all on their way they've, to yeah they've all kind of all had hints it's like they are the they've all been sent yeah yeah they're the representation uh, representatives of like their villages or their people i mean teeny weenie's got a fucking racing snail it's so <laughs> class they're like do you want me to carry you and it's like it's a race now bang off he's gone <laughs> you know the rock buyer he decides he's gonna eat some limestone and then he sees the nothing and like like he, even watching it now I'm looking at this face, and yeah, some people say, well, it's a complete blank face, but he's emoted to me enough from oh, his yeah. storytelling that what he's looking at is terrifying, and he's got to run from it. Yeah, even yeah, even in those puppet eyes, yeah. and the expression is being given, you see the terror. Yeah. And also the way he told the stories about all of the limestone just not being there anymore. Yeah. You felt the devastation. Uh, yeah, so these puppets... Fantastic. They're heading off to the Ivory Tower, the home place of the childlike Empress. Um, but when they get there, they're actually met by, I think it's Cowron, who's like her representation or her voice, who basically explains to the gathering of people there, like, you know, we, we're looking for an answer for the nothing. And we feel that the connection to the nothing is, there's a connection from the nothing to the sickness of the Empress. She's dying. And we've sent our message to Atreyu. And you have Noah Hathaway turn up. And they're all kind of shocked by the fact that he's just a boy. And I'm like, I like, I, I realised it for this review. You know, maybe I've realised it a million times. But I'm like, oh, it's a coming of age story. All right, we're all Atreyu, really. We're Bastion, we're Atreyu. You know, the, the film's representing children growing up and having to face you know, challenges and all those kind of stuff. But then, boom, you've got the 80s montages. <laughs> yeah, as uh, Atreyu and uh, Artex are racing across all of these different landscapes uh, in order to try and find a cure for the childlike empress. Yeah. But I just wanted to go back just to that gathering yeah, yeah. of odd, weird, oh, yeah. wonderful creatures. It's like a Star Trek episode. Giant head creatures with these formations around them. Yeah. Like on the far right, there's like this fish head thing. <laughs> now, apparently, if you look really closely, I mean, I spotted these myself. In the bottom right frame, you can spot Mickey Mouse. Nice. You can also spot two Ewoks stood side by side and E.T. Now, apparently in there as well as also Chewbacca and a couple of others that you have to keep an eye out for. Fucking E.T. gets everywhere, man. He does, yeah. He does. Yeah. But yeah, Artex and Atreyu, they're heading out. And, we, you know, the montage is, you know, atypical for 80s movies to just tell us that he's going to like the four or five, six, seven, eight different corners of Fantasia and he's looking for this answer. And the way that Bastian also explains to us that you've got... Was it the, the Gamork or Mork? This just fucking black wolf thing, you know, that is like the herald of the nothing. And he's been sent out to obviously destroy Atreyu as well. And Atreyu and Artex, I think they, 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 they've searched everywhere, haven't they? And they get the information that they've got to go see the ancient one. Moira. Yeah, Moira in the, in the uh, swamps of sadness. And holy motherfucking shit. I mean... 
If the bright eye sequence from fucking Watership Down didn't kill you as a child, this sequence did. <laughs> yeah, before before Atreyu finds Morla, Artex falls victim to the swamp's power. Oh, man. And dies of sadness. Come on, Artex. Now, it's devastating. Yeah. It, it, it took weeks and weeks of, re, uh, of, um, of, of rehearsals in order to get the horse to behave. Mm -hmm. uh, because, of course, when they were practicing this, yeah. uh, the horse would always panic the moment it was sinking in the, in the swamp. Yeah, 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 yeah. Now, this was also a massively constructed set as well, which is incredible. Mm. Uh, because it looks like a bloody real location. I was thinking out while I was watching this, and I'm just, I, was, I was taking the sequence apart. In, as I'm watching it with my knowledge of what I've seen in other films and so like you just said so I'm thinking like you're you're what looking at a tank room you know with like a floor that would slowly go it down it is a hydraulic lift you know, that goes down yeah and you've got obviously just black water there and you've literally just got to get this horse to stand still while, while the lift lowers it down yeah but while also Noah Hathaway is yanking at its mouth to, to pull it and yeah. screaming at it to keep going but you want it to do the opposite yeah well the horse is always <laughs> bolted and panicked but yeah. after weeks of being lowered down the horse just went well I didn't die so I guess it's okay I'm not going to die <laughs> That's basically the, the thinking in it. Yeah. Um, but uh, apparently even when it, the shots in the film, when you see the horse's eyes, yeah. it looks like That's... it's afraid. It's like it knows it's going to die. Oh, I was fucking terrified for it, man. Like I said, I'm looking at the mouth bit and I'm thinking yeah. Noah Hathaway must have like practiced how much he can yank and how long they can yank it for before they've got to let it go. You've got to change the shot. Yeah. You see a train yeah. jump around the side. And like I said, as a child, I bought into this moment because... We had literally just had, and maybe it's the, f the way the film has told me, but we've had nothing but Artex and Atreyu riding together, being one-on-one. -on -one. Yeah. And now he's dead. Dead. I like the it idea. Is, it is absolutely soul-destroyingly, devastatingly effective. Yeah. And it's because of the performance. It's because of the music. It's because of the set. It's because we've just bonded with with Atreyu and with Bastion, who's also bonded with him. You know, through oh, this yeah. connection that yeah. they're having, and, uh, and and yeah, seeing seeing Atreyu sat there in the swamp devastated now in the book it's explained that the uh the auron yeah, that he's was wearing protecting him. It's, it was protecting him from the swamp also yes. claiming him as well so if he'd taken it off and just put it on the horse the horse would have been like hey man get on well maybe yeah. <laughs> but i also think it's interesting in the book the horse can speak and in the book oh, no. the horse tells him i don't want you to watch me die go on without me and i'm like you know what i think it's better that the horse doesn't speak because <laughs> yeah. it'd be even more devastating yeah, oh, man. that the horse was able to talk and knows what it's doing oh man yeah i was, but, I was literally just thinking <laughs> that like oh would that make that sequence better my, my heart's like no 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 no, no. <laughs> oh man because we then follow a tray on his own carrying on until he gets to show mounting Shell Mountain, and then he meets Mauler, the fucking turtle. <laughs> this thing is great. The best character in the whole film. If any, many film, really. You know, like, <laughs> we don't care, but 
Yes. <laughs> we don't care whether or not we care. <laughs> yeah, this thing's worded and scripted really well. Uh, yeah. Great performance here. Uh, but it does eventually, despite being allergic to a tree and sneezing him <laughs> off the tree over yeah, and over again, yeah. uh, it does eventually tell him that in order to find the answers he needs, he needs to go and visit the Southern Oracle, yeah. which doesn't matter anyway because it's 10,000 miles away. <laughs> you know how I can help the Empress, don't you? Not that it matters. But, yes. If you don't tell me and then nothing keeps coming, you'll die too, both of you. Die? <laughs> so absolutely devastated by this news, Atreyu literally wanders in the swamp to die. Yeah. And that is when Gamor has his scent. He, well, yeah, he, it's not like he's going to die. He's, 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 he's trudging on to get out. He's, he's exhausted and Gamor is there to kill him. I love the way as well that, you know, the, the film has slightly, slightly kept the Bastion at the edge, you know, narrating certain sequences. But then you have the sequence where he screams when you see the, uh, the Mola and they hear him. And Bastion's like, hey, they can't hear me. And that's where, as the audience, or you know, proper audience watching it, you're like, oh, this is this is the pure magic. You know, this is this is where Bastion will be part of the story as well. Yeah. And when Gamork is two seconds away from killing him, we get fucking the entrance of one of the most legendary characters of all of the eighties. Falcor. Falcor the Luck Dragon voiced, swoops in, voiced by Alan Oppenheimer. Oh man. Yeah. What an awesome voice actor as well, because not only does he voice Falcor in this, he also voices the Rockbiter yes. and Gamork, yep. and he's also the narrator at the end of the film, and he also voiced Skeletor in the cartoon series. <laughs> this guy's an absolute legend. 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 <laughs> but yeah, originally in the book and in the original script before they realised they didn't have the budget <laughs> or the time in order to do all of these scenes. They they thought they could shoot this film in three months. It took, <laughs> it took them 12 months to shoot this thing. Um, but yeah, there were scenes that they couldn't do in the film. And originally, Atreyu was meant to find Falcor sort of trapped in like a giant spider's web. Oh. And he would free uh, uh, Atreyu. Uh, he would free Falcor and then they would carry on their journey. Uh, and there was also other scenes later on where... Falcor and Atreya were separated, which was the result of something else happening. But they, you know, they changed it for for the for the film for budget reasons. Yeah, I I, I think it works just as well where you have and like I said with Atreya almost he's he's trying to carry on, but he just can't. The swamp is just slowly enveloping. It was him. it was also to make sure we got that pivotal beat where. Um, where Bastion screams and they hear it. Yeah, yeah. It's just in the film, you could say it's a little bit odd that he screams at Morla, when in the book he screams at the horrible spider monster thing that had trapped the yeah. Luck Dragon. So, yeah, it's a, a little bit odd, but it, it, it's See still... It's swoop a, down out of the sky. Oh, it's, a, it's magic. Up, it's absolutely wonderful. Off. Bastion just like takes a breath, because you as the audience are taking a breath, like, oh my God, he was almost going to die. Yes. And then, bang, we're told by, we're told by Falcor, yep, yep. We're at the we're at the location of the Southern Oracle. We you know we flew ten thousand miles while you were asleep. It's okay. You've still got time to save Fantasia, and we've we realised that the Southern Oracle is only like just around the corner because we're we're introduced to these two gnomes. Oh, these gnomes are awesome. Yes. we've got uh, Patricia Hayes playing Urgle, and of course we recognise Patricia Hayes as uh, as the, um, the 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 good witch Finn Rizal <laughs> yeah, yeah. from Willow. Willow yeah. 
And we also have Sidney Bromley, who plays Engiwook, uh, who has one of my favourite lines in the entire <laughs> film. Something that I've quoted forever since. What is that? <laughs> Don't quote me, witch! <laughs> Get on the witch, witch! <laughs> witch. <laughs> no. <laughs> I love this. this is, like, you, we, weirdly, that it didn't have a lot of budget for this movie. I mean, it had quite a bit, but not as big as you would see. But some of the effects are just so on point, especially like this section with Atreyu, with the gnomes in the background, and then that's where we see the Southern Oracle, and oh man, oh man, I love me some Southern Oracle. Oh, why is that? Just because they just seem so... bosom. Uh, oh, 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 I see. I see. <laughs> it's the first test, and it's the test of one's own self-worth. Yeah. And just so we can kind of see as an example what would happen yep. should Atreyu fail this task, we see this knight riding along on his horse. And everyone gets quite excited. Like, he might actually make it, he might actually make it. But no, the Sphinx's eyes open and he doubts his self-worth and he dies. Why don't he just ride faster? Because he doubted his self-worth um, and slowed down. Yeah, Didn't think he was worthy of making it to the other side. And Atreus was like, you know what? I can do that. <laughs> Straight away, he's just like, you know what? I don't need, I don't need your science. I don't need your potion. I just need to get to the other side and save Fantasia. Yeah. And uh, we watch him go. And yeah, it's a, it's a great moment. The music builds, the suspense builds. We see the corpse of the other guy as the armor comes over, revealing the burnt skeleton yeah. underneath. See, I don't want to dwell on it, but why would you put nipples on those things? And I just thought, you know, for a kid's movie, adding nipples to it was just maybe a bit much. Well, like I said, I'm glad they put them there. <laughs> yeah, oh, totally. Yeah. I've, I've always, always remembered those things. But it's just, like I said, as you watch him with a tray, as he's looking up and you're like, <laughs> I know, if those things kill me, I could kind of live with it. You know? But he runs through, dives to the other side. We get the immortal line. He made it. <laughs> <laughs> he made it! I love that scene as he goes down in the basket and rolls mean out the end. Gotta fall out the basket again. And the whole interaction with these gnomes that they're having with Falcor as well, where they're trying to take care of him, like like you really fully believe in the magic of the puppetry work. Yeah. Like, like if you really look, you can see that the lip sync doesn't quite match up with some of the wording. But I don't care because I'm behind everything. And then we have Engiwook explain to us that, you know, Atreyu has to face his second challenge, which is the magic mirror, which is basically, you know, to see himself reflected at himself. And this is where we kind of are led into the, the, the magic of the story and the magic of the movie, where as he's walking through this blizzard, this snowy land, he sees the magic mirror and he sees Bastion, which, you know, if you've seen like a bazillion times like me, the movie's basically saying to you like, you are Bastion, Bastion is you, you are connected, everything is connected to them and you have to kind of get to him. And as he heads through the second task, you know, Bastion's still a bit freaked out by all this, like, what the fuck? He, like, he decides to throw the book away, like yeah. he's had enough, he should really go home. But the school's shut. Yeah. And he decides, you know what, even though I like to miss class, I sure do like to stay in school. Yeah. <laughs> you know what, I'll spend the night. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to spend the night in the school attic. 
I'm just going to finish this story. We can hear the weather getting nasty outside as he's engrossed in lighting these candles. Yeah. Not eating all of his food right away. No, no. Uh, we do keep cutting back to Bastion. We're always reminded that he's there and on this journey. And it is a great moment where they're kind of reflected in each other. Yeah. As they look at each other. But then, yeah, Atreyu walks right through the mirror. Yeah. And to he... find the Southern Oracle. And they explain to him that uh, that in order to, to save Fantasia, what they need to do is give the em- the childlike empress a new name. Yeah. But it cannot be given to her by anyone from Fantasia. It must come from an earthling child. Yeah. And, Bas- and Atreus is like, well, how do I find one? Yeah. And so he's then tasked to go and travel to the boundaries of Fantasia where he may find an earthling child who will be able to give the childlike empress a name. Yeah. I just want to bring it up as well. It's interesting that it's called Fantasia, which is like a great name for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But with the German adaptation into into English, uh, Fantasia was called Fantastica. <laughs> I can just imagine like this film just would completely lose its majesty, I think. Yeah, like Fantastica sounds like more like a rave. Right. <laughs> you know, like a club you go to where Fantasia really sounds like a, a land of in a book. Yeah. You know, like... like It'll like, probably explain why we saw Mickey Mouse earlier. <laughs> yeah, 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 that's it. I always thought about that with the mo- their movie as well. But Atreyu ends up on the back of Falcor and they literally race to the edge of the boundaries of Fantasia. Yeah, but he's knocked off, isn't he? He's knocked By off the of, nothing. Yeah, he's knocked off of Falcor's back and he loses the Orin as well. So he washes up on this beach. We see Falcor flying around looking for him, looking for the Orin as well. And... and Atreyu comes across the rock biter who, you know, explains that he lost his snail friend, he lost his bat friend, you know, his hands, his hands were just not strong enough to hold on to them from the nothing. And this, so this is for me like he's literally just it, gonna sit I, there and it's, die. It's almost more depressing than than uh, Artex yeah. going falling into the swamp and dying. Yeah. Like watching this this giant giant creature just sit there utterly defeated, ready to face the nothing. Yeah. It's, it's, I mean, you can see he's even crying. Yeah, he and cries. He, and he ends up just repeating himself. They look like big, strong, strong hands, hands, don't they? I will just sit here and let it take me away too. They look like good, strong, So, oh, it's so horrible. Amazing. Just so amazing. <laughs> and and the tray was just like, he's, he's shocked. He's just like, well, what am I supposed to do? Like, he stumbles into this room and he looks and he sees all the paintings around the room, you know, depict his adventures, you know, meeting Chiron at the beginning, getting the Auron, stumbling through the, the Swamp of Sadness. And then he finally comes face to face with Gamork. He sees the picture of Gamork and then sees the wolf there. And the wolf basically explains to him like, I'm looking for this hero. I have to kill him. And Atreus is just like, oh, what's the name of this, this hero that you're looking for? <laughs> and Gamora's just like, Atreyu. And they realize that they're supposed to face each other. Now, crazy enough, when I, when I was kidding watching this, the film kind of feels like it should just be this first half. Like the second half does go into the second movie and doesn't really work. But having this ending where, you know, we just have to get the name for the Empress. We just have to break the boundaries of 
Fantasia. And we have this final fight sequence between Gamork and Atreyu where he pulls out that small little dagger and he kind of just stabs him, you know, and he takes a bit of injury himself. But we have Falcor fly around. He's found the Auron as well and he just so happens to rescue Atreyu just as the world of Fantasia just kind of falls apart. Yeah, and Fantasia is utterly obliterated. You know, the music is really somber. We're just seeing... You know, bits of rock and bits of debris just floating in the void of space. Yeah, yeah. Now, granted, we know this is a mystical fantasy kind of land, so I'm like, he's in space, how's he breathing? <laughs> the luck dragon. The okay, yeah, okay, dragon. right, yeah. yeah but yeah. I'm just saying, it's it's the mystical fantasy land, like, it doesn't matter. Yeah. If the, if the nothing has claimed everything, the some creatures might still exist. And so they're hopeful that just maybe... Just maybe the ivory tower still stands. Yeah. And oh, it's that majestic moment oh, when the, the, music when, the kicks when the rock clears, the music dun, plays, dun, and you're like, dun, there's dun, still hope. Yeah. But again, once Atreyu makes his way in there, and the Empress explains that actually, no, you, you didn't fail. You brought a earthling child with you. Yeah. And she explains that he was there when he lost Artex in the swamp. He was there when he faced Gamork. He was there all along the journey. And that you had to go on this journey in order for this earthling child to 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 bond with you in order to come with you on this adventure. Well, Stephen, the bookstore as well. She was like, you were with him with the bookstore as yes. well. And Bastion's just well, like... Well, that's the, that's the thing that this film does, which is absolutely incredible. Yeah. Is that it, it breaks the fourth wall. Oh, yeah. Within the fourth wall. Yeah. Because she looks directly at the camera and asks for Bastion to call and give her a name. Yeah. But she also comments that there are people watching Bastion. So she's aware that we are characters in a book from a character that's in a film yeah. being watched by us watching the film. Now, Bastion is told this information, but he completely doesn't get it at that's, all. Well, that's it. But that's just like Atreyu not getting it that he's a character in a book being read by someone. And so like, the, audience, the audience members are like, what? Like, yeah, but the film just races right past it, so you don't get hung up on it, but it's there. The self-awareness of this childlike empress yeah. is amazing. The never-ending story? What's that? Just as he is sharing all your adventures, others are sharing his. But that's impossible! Yeah, now, <laughs> I swear to God... I watched a version as a child where you do not hear her name. I swear I saw that. I swear the version of it, of the movie that I used to watch as a kid as as Bastian comes to realize that it's his it's down to him to call this name Atreus been knocked out the the empress is about to die the whole palace is about to crumble to the nothing and she's screaming call my name as he races up and shouts his name shouts the name the lightning and the rain everything flashed so you couldn't hear the name i think like Maybe I'm mad. Maybe it's like that whole time travel thing where things change over time. I swear they did it so that you could put you could put your own name to it. Yeah. Because in in the book, the moon's the, the name's like Moon Dragon or something. It's Moon, moon Child, Child, which is what you if, know, which if, is if like, you listen carefully, you can just about hear him shout out Moon Child. Well, yeah, yeah. The version like I was watching this and and, and I was researching it and 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 realized that, that was because I never knew what the fuck he called it. A Bastion for me. 
you know, shouted the it name. It was an incomprehensible. It was an incomprehensible name that you made muted up yourself. by the thunder. Yeah, yeah, but you could make it up yourself. Yeah, because yeah. insert your own mum's name. Uh, yeah, yeah, whatever. Yeah, but with the fact that you got like Moonchild sounds cool. Like, oh, his mum was called Moonchild. It just, I don't know. It just doesn't kind of fit the 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 narrative of the story. You know, like now we know his mum's name. I'm kind of like, what the fuck did she die of? Like, <laughs> has Bastien got it? Like. We don't know, but he 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 says this name. He calls it out, and it's him and the Empress basically in the void, you know. And he's got this tiny, tiny little speck of sand, the last bit of sand of Fantasia, and he well, he can make wishes with it. Yeah, well, he also doesn't know if he's capable or or wants to make wishes. Yeah, and she explains to him like, well, if you don't make any wishes, Fantasia will never come to be. Yeah, Fantasia is fueled by humankind's dreams and imagination. So if you decide to put your feet on the ground and get on with without those things, Fantasia will it be nothing. Yeah. And uh, and so, yeah, he starts to make wishes. And we see him flying on the back of Falcor, yeah. waving to Artex and, and Atreyu, waving as he flies through Fantasia. And this is where the screenplay kind of ended and it felt like an impending disaster for the team because they know this is only the first half of the book. So they're like, so how do we end? And so they decided to do something that's not in the book and do something which they referred to as Disneying the movie, (laughs) which of course also upset the author of the book when Falcor, a Fantasian creature manifests and appears in the real world to chase the bullies into the dumpster to bring the film all the way around. It's but such they a needed great they needed an, an end to it this did. film which didn't technically kind of have one. Well, that's the thing with the narration at the end where the movie the, the movie narrator says to us like, "Oh yeah, you know, Bastian went on many many great adventures." It's like, "Yes, it's all self-composed in this one film. Like, I don't need to watch anything else." The the sequel, yeah, okay. The sequel has the point where Bastian loses his memories and he has to choose between being in Fantasia or being in the real world, you know, because he's being manipulated by all these different people. The film doesn't do it very well, but it does it. Yeah. You know, it does the second part and it just doesn't work. You know, the ending of the first one, fuck yeah, you know, he flies that wish dragon and I don't care where he came from. I don't <laughs> care where he's going back. Bastian has this magical book, right? Okay, that's like anybody who's going to read it, I'd love to see it. Like, like, do we all see the same story, or are all our stories different? Like, yeah, they, yeah. you know, maybe the whole book's blank. Yeah, you right, know, yeah. it's just different for everyone else. But, like, but that's the that's that's the idea. Yeah, yeah. With, the, with with just just the ending, you know, telling us that Bastian went on many great adventures. You're just like, sit back, relax. Music kicking. Hell yeah. <laughs> well, Liam, what were your favourite scenes from the Neverending Story? Oh man, pretty much. All of it, really. Though, like, I do love most of the effects with, like, the prosthetics and practical effects and puppetry and, like, the rock biter, the bat guy at the beginning, you know, teeny weeny on his racing snail, all the little special effects, the Chiron and there's a, a audience of weird people out there. You know, just every set. Obviously, obviously, the Southern Oracles. Ladies, um, and like the gnomes, just the way that they all work and interact with just all the different sequences. It's it's not my favorite, but it always will be my most memorable scene is Artex in the swamp. Hell yeah, 
the opening visuals and the song like the moment the film starts you're in there yeah uh, in that world the song just carries you into this fantasy world fantastic i love the book reveal uh when we first see the Oran and the title yeah. and the music slowly fades up yeah that was that's great gives me goosebumps every time uh yeah as you mentioned it the the, the swamp of sadness just soul destroying it stays with you forever and i know so many of us who play video games will name their horse ardex yes. in honor of the fact that we're still probably not quite over it quite yet yeah <laughs> of course falcor the luck dragon that design now in the book it's more like a uh, uh like a lion but mm. they decided to puppify yeah and turn it more into like a friendly flying dog yeah. Um, but it has, it just, it is just so lovable. It always you know? reminds me of a, one of those Chinese dragons you see. It does, yeah. yeah. But it, it's like, it's kind of got like the face of Gizmo or the face of like Baby Yoda, you know, but there's Falcor. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the gnomes, you know, Engie um, Walken and Urgle, the, the moment we see them together, just these bickering old <laughs> ancient couple that are just so comfortable with each other, it's totally fine. Yeah. Uh just absolutely adorable. And and watching him go down the basket screaming <laughs> he made it. Ah, that made it for me. <laughs> yeah, the the Southern Oracle. Yeah, yeah, whether you're a kid or an adult, you're gonna uh, notice those. It's there. <laughs> the nothing itself when we're seeing the devastation it's causing on the land, watching the ground crack or the or scenery just get taken off screen. Yeah. Uh, fantastic. Uh, the final rock biter scene where he sat there completely defeated and ready to to die. Ah, oh, that that gets me every time. Would you say he's hit rock bottom? Oh god. <laughs> well, I would say. Again, the uh, the sequence when the nothing has destroyed everything and they're just kind of floating in the void, and the moment the ivory tower just comes into view again when the music cranks it up. Great, great, great moment. Yeah. The fourth wall break within the fourth wall break. It's such a mind-bending, oh my god, did this film just do that at this point? Yes. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> well, Ian, do you recommend The NeverEnding Story? I totes recommend The NeverEnding Story. I think I always will be. I think I'll be an eight-year-old man and somebody will say, what do you want to watch? I'll be like, NeverEnding Story! <laughs> uh, it's like, you could totally remake this fucking movie and get the second half of the movie into it. You could do the fucking uh, Chronicles of Narnia with it and add like five or six people do do the remake like they did with Jumanji you know just get us back into that world you can make it into a fucking 12 episode fucking three season shit on Netflix Amazon Prime or I'm just chucking ideas out there people the never ending story worked as a movie didn't cost too much had some really great actors who just didn't blow their careers on drugs and hookers and some really great practical effects that just all right, they don't do a lot, but what they do on screen is enough to put you into next scene. And you're like, whoa, whoa, okay, I'm with you. The emotions run high, you know, you get real low, but yeah, man, never ended story. Yeah, well, they did actually consider a reboot back, I think, like 2009, 2011. <laughs> yeah. I believe it was Leonardo DiCaprio's... Uh, production company that was looking at doing it they got in touch with kathleen kennedy they got in touch with as many people as they could to try and get this reboot in the works yeah. but 
it's a rights issue mm. now. It's a, I'm not sure who owns the rights. Whether it's now the rights have gone back to Michael End, Probably who's the, the author of the book, yeah, yeah. Uh, or whether the film rights are in a different company's hands, or whether it's because of the sequels. And, and but they probably uh, just made it, a load of money. It, from... There was so much red tape that a reboot yeah. was just not possible. And so part of me is just like, oh, thank fuck for that. <laughs> like, please, this film is still sacred to us, um, and it hasn't been been ruined by by a remake yet. We we've already got the two sequels yeah. to tarnish it enough. Yeah. But uh, this film just remains. Would would they have made some money from the Stranger Things using the theme music? Possibly. Oh, I'd imagine so. Possibly. I'd and imagine so. I'd love to see, like, I don't watch Stranger Things, but I'd love to see Dustin in the future watch the sequels and be like, man, it was fucking suck, man. <laughs> yes, they have to do that. <laughs> Well, I think it should come as no surprise that I am absolutely recommending The NeverEnding Story. This is essential viewing. It's a must-watch film. A classic from childhood that resonates today. A wonderful fantasy adventure tale with a positive message. I truly feel this film is, is timeless mm. and the story will continue from one generation to the next. The film has the power to take you on an emotional journey into a fantasy world rich in characters and imagination, filled with dangers and adventure, luck dragons and ancient ones. There is never a dull moment. This film is a handcrafted passion project with outstanding effects by Brian Johnson and all the makeup teams. The puppetry, the matte paintings, the sets, the costumes, the world of Fantasia is a fully realized world. It's top tier craftsmanship. The casting was perfect. Everyone delivered memorable roles that have or will affect anyone who's ever been touched by this film. The music by Klaus Doldinger and Giorgio Moroder is fantastic. The grandeur and majesty of Fantasia. It's otherworldly and ethereal at times. It's sad and reflective. Then it's hopeful and graceful. Awesome, awesome soundtrack. Worth listening to also outside of the film. I highly recommend The NeverEnding Story. It's a film memory that has stayed and will forever stay. It means that much to me. It's a to be a part of this never-ending story. To do what you dream, to believe in yourself and live your dreams. And that's what life is all about. Hmm. Thanks for watching Off The Shelf Reviews. Mm -hmm.